Amen. Psalm 27. I'll begin just by, let's just read through this whole thing so that way we have it in our minds. Starting in verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. As you can probably tell, there's a lot in there. (laughs) There's a lot packed into that little psalm. In fact, uh, there's a couple verses here where we could probably just camp out all night long and study what, what does this mean for me? What is this, what is this saying? So this is a psalm of David. Um, And as you can see in your Bibles there, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, you know, tell like it in other psalms what time this was in David's life or what was taking place. Um, So we don't really know, but it's pretty clear as, you know, we just read through it. This was a time of tribulation in David's life. This was a time of um, questioning and struggle and reminding himself like, yes, this is who the Lord is. And so I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to fret. I don't need to be fearful because I know who my God is. Um, For instance, in verse 1, we see that there are circumstances. David says in verse 1 a couple of times, I'm not going to be afraid. There's probably something going on in his life where it's like, hey, David, you should probably be a little bit fearful about this. Um, In verses 2 and 3, he speaks of wicked men and armies coming up against him to destroy him. In verses 7 through 9, we see David pleading with the Lord to make good on his promises and to not forsake him and to meet him where he is and to hear his cry and to hear his plea. Um, In verse 12, he makes mention of people who are probably slandering him and bringing accusations against him. So to set the scene, it doesn't seem like it's a good time in David's life. (laughs) We don't know when it was, uh, but you can just tell, like, David's pleading and crying out and reminding himself, this isn't a good situation. This isn't a good time for him. But what we see in this psalm is something amazing, and, and I'm sure that you picked up on it as we read through it. We see an unwavering faith in the Lord. We see an unwavering faith that despite circumstances, despite what's, what's taking place in his life, um, he's even saying, you know what, this is a situation where normally I would fear, 
but I know who my God is. I know who he is, and I have trust in him. The title of this study tonight is The Needful Thing. The Needful Thing. What is that one thing that is most needful for us? What's that thing in our lives that is the most needful? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. And you know, we we all know that this is a crazy time in our world, a crazy time in our country. Um, And so, what is the needful thing? Well, it's not the knowledge that we're not ever going to face another pandemic. That's not the needful thing. Uh, We're pretty much promised in Scripture that there's going to be pandemics. There's going to be famines. Um, disease is going to happen. That's, that's the nature of the world that we live in. The needful thing is not the hope that we are going to remain healthy forever. We're not going to remain healthy forever. We live in a fallen world. We're eventually going to die. And so what is the needful thing? Well, the needful thing is not the comfort of knowing that we're always going to have a good economy and that we're always going to be financially secure. That's not the needful thing for us. History has shown over and over again that economies rise and fall, nations rise and fall, empires rise and fall. So what's the needful thing? What's needful? God, yeah. Amen. God. It's the Lord himself. That's the needful thing. That's what's needful. It's needful for us to, to have more hope in him, to have more faith in him, to trust him. You know, we're believers here tonight, and we we all have faith, right? But do you trust the Lord? Do you trust him? Do you trust the Lord with your life? Do you trust the Lord with your hopes? Do you trust the Lord um, with your dreams? Do you trust him despite difficult circumstances? Do you trust him when things um, don't go your way? Do you trust that he's bigger and smarter and stronger and has a better plan for your life than you do? Do you trust the Lord? It's not needful for us to place hope in this life. It's not needful for us to place stock in this world. What's needful is that we have more of Jesus What's needful for us is that we know the Lord more. And so this is what David is saying um, in this psalm. Let's go back and let's read verses 1 through 3. He starts out this psalm like this. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, My enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. When the Lord is our God, we have nothing to fear. If the Lord is your God, you have nothing to fear. Say say that again. Say, Say it over yourself. Say it in your circumstance. If the Lord is your God, what do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? If he is who he says he is, what do you have to fear? Um, That's what David is saying in these verses. You can see, he says, you know, even if there's an army encamped against me, um, the the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, uh, my heart shall not fear. The war might rise up against me. He even says there at the end of verse 3, and I'm going to not only not fear, but I'm actually going to have confidence. And confidence in what? Well, what about David's situation could inspire confidence, right? Um, I don't know about you, but I've never had an army encamped against me. Doesn't sound like a good day. 
I don't know that I would have confidence in that situation. It sounds really intimidating, but look again how he starts this. He says three things about the Lord. He says, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, and the Lord is the strength of my life. He's my light, David says. What does that mean? Well, light is representative of a lot of things in Scripture. Um, Truth, purity, uh, holiness, joy, uh, being led in the right path, right? Light uh, is representative of all of these things. David said, this is what the Lord is to me. The Lord is my light. The Lord guides me. Uh, The Lord is my light. He, He shines when all around me seems dark. Uh, He's my light when, judging by my circumstances, I should just despair. No, the Lord is my light. He's my light when I'm tempted to believe a lie. He's the light that shines upon my heart and shows those secret hidden sins. He makes my path clear. He leads me. He shows me the way because he is my light. And he says, and he's my salvation. And we know this uh, to be very true, right? The Lord has saved us all. He's brought us an eternal salvation. Acts 4.12 tells us there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He saves us. He's the Savior. And the Lord is the strength of my life. Uh, more accurately, he's my stronghold. He's my stronghold. He's where I go for protection. He keeps me safe. He's my strength. He's my safety. In Ephesians 6.10, we just studied Ephesians with the high school, and um, Paul said this very famous passage in Ephesians 16. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's an interesting phrase. This, This isn't a suggestion that Paul gives to us as believers. He says, this is what you must do. Be strong. It's an imperative statement. You heard Pastor Troy talk about this all the time, right? It's a command. Your command is to be strong in the Lord. To be strong in the Lord. Um, It's not a suggestion that we would draw our strength and our sense of security and our sense of protection, not from any other means, but from the Lord himself. And if the Lord is all of those things for us, if he's my light, if he's my salvation, if he's my strength, then we can proclaim like David did and say, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid if this is the sovereign king, the one who breathed and brought life, the one who spoke and stars were formed, and it says that he is my light, he is my salvation, he is my strength. We've got nothing to fear. We've got nothing to be afraid of. We've got nothing to worry about. If the Lord is your God, if the Lord is my God, of whom or of what shall I be afraid? What shall I be afraid of? I know who my God is. In Romans 8, 31, Paul picks up on this and he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And Paul goes on to say, you know, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we're killed all day long we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that's an amazing passage 
Because Paul brings up all of these different situations where on any given day, I don't think that any of us would want to find ourselves in, right? I wouldn't want to be uh, facing a sword. I wouldn't want to be, we, none of us want to be facing um, a pandemic or a famine or you know, fill in the blank. But what does he say? None of this is going to separate you. You're more than a conqueror. The Lord is the stronghold of your life. The Lord is your refuge. The Lord is your strength. He's your security. He's your light. He's your salvation. So what do you have to fear? What do you have to be afraid of? Why are you fearful? Why are you fretting? Do you know who the Lord is? Place your hope in him. And then David goes on in verse 4, and he says this, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek. David says, this is the one thing that I want. This is the one thing that I'm going to seek after, right? When somebody says, hey, I'm seeking after this thing, it means that you are pursuing it, right? You're putting effort forth into this. This is what I want for my life. One thing that I am asking of the Lord. If I were to tell you or ask you, hey, what's the one thing for you? What's that one thing that you're like, man, I really want this one thing from the Lord. Or if I were to say to you, hey, you only get one more thing from the Lord, this is never going to happen. It's a hypothetical, so this is not, don't read too much into this. You only have one thing that you can ask the Lord. What would that one thing be? What would that one thing be? David said, this is my one thing. I want this one thing. You know, we could probably list a bunch of different things in there. Maybe some people would say, well, I would want to make sure that I'm provided for for the rest of my life. Uh, maybe some, some of us would say, well, I, I really hope to get married one day, or I hope to have children one day, or, you know, I really want to have that promotion at work. That's the one thing. What's the one thing that you desire from the Lord? This is what David says. This is his desire. This one thing that I want, this one thing that I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, I'm going to put effort forth to attain this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When you read through this psalm, you see David is facing troubling circumstances. And this may be surprising to some of us because I would think, maybe he would say, this one thing I want from the Lord, I just want peace. <laughs> you know, I'm tired of getting chased around. I just want my enemies to, to not be here anymore, right? This is the one thing that I want. In fact, I want my enemies to be destroyed, right? I want peace. I want rest. That's what I would think David's one thing would be. But what does he say? He says, I want to be with the Lord. David knew that the most important thing and the most valuable thing that he could ever attain was closeness to the Lord. The most valuable thing David could ever attain was closeness to the Lord. And I don't think that it's any different for us. It's, it's no different for us. The most valuable thing that we could ever attain is closeness to the Lord. What did Jesus say? He said, uh, you know, do you want to <laughs> attain the whole world and, and lose your soul? The most important thing that we could ever attain is the knowledge of Christ. Because here's the thing, in this life, we are going to face trials. We, are, we have been. We're going to face tribulation. We're going to face persecution. Um, this is inevitable. 
And unless our primary desire is Jesus himself, we're going to find ourselves becoming discouraged. We're going to find ourselves becoming anxious and worried. We're going to find ourselves becoming angry people unless the Lord is this in our life, unless the Lord is this one thing. We're going to find ourselves disappointed because bad things are going to happen. But for the one whose God is the Lord, we're going to be steadfast. We're going to be confident. We're going to say, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my joy. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold. He's the strength of my life. David is saying, I just want to be where the Lord is. He says that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be in his house, that I might behold the beauty of the, the, the Lord in his t- and to inquire in his temple. I just want to be in a place of seeking him and knowing him and resting in him, to be in his presence. Listen, we so often want the blessing from the Lord. We want the thing from the Lord, but the Lord wants to give us something so much better. He wants to give us himself. He wants to give us himself. He wants to meet us in the middle of our trials. He wants to pour out his blessing and his presence upon our lives when we're at our lowest spot. He wants to give himself to us. Think of that for a second. God wants to give himself to you that you might know him, that you might be in his presence. David said, and that's my one thing. That's my one thing that I want from the Lord. What is your one thing? What is the thing where you're like, if I don't get this in this life, I'm going to be really disappointed? Well, again, let me tell you, if it's not Jesus... If it's not the Lord, you can assure yourself you will be disappointed. You will be disappointed. Your one thing has to be the Lord. He's the only one that can satisfy. He's the only one who can bring true joy and true peace. Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is fullness of joy? In his presence. That's where we find the fullness of joy. It's in the presence of the Lord himself. Paul said something similar in Philippians 3. He was reflecting on his life before Christ, and he talks about, you know, his heritage. He talks about his education. He talks about the zeal that he had. He talks about his self-proclaimed righteousness. And um, and then he says this in Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss. For what? For Christ. All of these things that I deemed so important to me, all of these things that I used to desire, all of my hopes and dreams and aspirations, I count them as loss. And he goes further and he says, Yet indeed I count also all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead." I know that's a lengthy passage and you're all probably 
very familiar with it, but every time I read it, I just am so struck by Paul's heart. He's saying, all of those things that were so important to me before, I count them as rubbish. They're garbage to me. Why? Because I've got something so much better now. And I have the, I have the knowledge of Christ. I have Jesus, the Spirit himself, dwelling within me. He says, I count all of these things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. All of those things compared to what I have now, they're rubbish. It's like Paul is saying, this is my one thing. This is the one thing that I want above everything else, above all other things, above all my previous dreams and aspirations, above all those things that I used to put my trust in, above everything else, they're lost to me now compared to knowing Jesus. And that's the one thing I want. I want to know his power. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to attain to his resurrection. There is nothing else important in this life to me than Jesus. And so what is it? I know that I'm belaboring this point, but what, what is our one thing? Because I know for me, I, I get so distracted. It's easy for me to get distracted. It's easy for me to, to <laughs> just get caught up, not necessarily in sinful worldly things, but to have my, my focus taken off of what I know my one thing really is, and that's Jesus. And so maybe... There's hobbies in your life that are just crowding everything out. This happened in my walk with the Lord recently where I felt like I was partaking in a hobby that's not bad. It wasn't sinful. And every once in a while, it's good to do. But I just felt like the Lord was saying, you're doing that so much. You're forgetting me. You're forgetting me. If there's anything in your life that is crowding out Jesus, it's a lesser thing. And it shouldn't be your one thing. And so what's your one thing? What is that thing that you desire above everything else that consumes your thoughts, that consumes your time? What is the one thing that you're most concerned about? Let's not be those who seek the lesser things. Let's not be those who are concerned with the things of this world. Let's be those who are seeking Jesus, who know the Lord, that he is the most important thing about who we are. That we're not seeking uh, his blessing necessarily. We're seeking him. That we're not seeking those things that he can give us, but the blessing is Jesus himself. And it's only in him that we're going to find that peace and joy and satisfaction and security and rest, and the list can go on and on. David said, this is the one thing that I want. Above everything else, despite my circumstances, despite what I'm facing, I want to know the Lord. I want to inquire in his temple. I want to be in his house. That's my one thing. Verse 5, he goes on and says, For in a time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. Therefore, I will offer the sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. David, it's like he's looking forward and saying, but I know that my ultimate victory is in the Lord. In the time of trouble, he's going to hide me. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He's going to set me high upon a rock. David could look at his his circumstance and look forward and say, but I know that the ultimate deliverance and victory is in the Lord. He 
is going to do this. And so I'm going to offer sacrifices. I'm going to be joyful in the temple. I'm going to bring uh, my praise to the Lord. And listen, as believers today, New Testament, we know Jesus has purchased the ultimate victory. Amen? Jesus has already got the victory for us. We can look forward to a time where all of the enemies will be defeated, where our feet will be set high upon the rock, right? We can look forward to a time where we're going to be with him um, in heaven where it says that death had been thrown into the lake of fire. That is where we sit, and we can look forward uh, to that time. As believers, we know Jesus got the ultimate victory at the cross when he shed his blood for us. He purchased our redemption. He bought for us peace with God. He trampled over the enemy. He trampled over death itself, and we have that eternal safety in him. And so these first six verses, it's like a, it's like a high note. Like David is just extolling the Lord, praising the Lord, reminding himself of who the Lord is saying, I will not be fearful. But when we jump into verse 7, the tone changes a little bit. Let me read verses 7 through 10 and see if you notice the change. David says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said, to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. I think if we had only the first half of Psalm 27, probably could have thought to ourselves, well, that seems easy for David, <laughs> right? That seems easy to place all of his trust and hope in the Lord. It, it seems easy for him to do that, but we get to this point, and we see almost a trepidation and a fear, and you can even sense some anxiety in there, and I don't necessarily think that it was like a lapse of faith or anything like that, um, but you can definitely tell that he's praying with urgency. Uh, maybe the Lord it's, it seems that the Lord was silent and wasn't answering David's prayer. Maybe he wasn't answering David's prayer the way that he thought, or maybe he wasn't answering his prayers at all. Something was definitely going on. You see in verse 7, he says, Hear me, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. Verse 8, he says, essentially, you told me to seek your face, Lord. And I said, that's what I'm doing. I am seeking your face. Verse 9, so don't hide your face from me. You can just almost sense the pleading in David's voice, like, Lord, be near. Lord, hear my cry. Lord, don't be far from me. Have you guys ever been in a situation like this? Where on, on one hand, you know, you know who your God is. You know that he's totally trustworthy. You know that he's totally faithful. You know that you have nothing to fear. But on the other hand, you're like, but Lord, please hear me still. <laughs> but, but Lord, Lord, don't, don't turn away from me. Have you guys ever experienced that? Am, am I the only one here? Okay, good. We got one in the back. That's awesome. Cool. Um, I think this is something that we all face. We know the truth. We know, what, we know the truth of who our God is. But there are s situations that arise in our life that seem impossible. That seems like, how are you going to do this, Lord? How are you going to get me out of this one? And certainly, I'm sure many of you guys are thinking of situations on your own where you face something like that. Maybe it's something that has to do with financial things or uh, relational things. Or, you know, the list could go on. The list could go on and on. 
and it's like, Lord, I feel like you don't hear me right now. Like, I know the truth. I know who you are, but hear me. Hear me. Answer my cry. Answer my prayer. Don't hide your face from me. Do you know it's okay to pray like that? Do you know that it's okay to pray, Lord, I just feel like you're distant. I feel like you're not hearing me. Of course, we, this goes without saying, but we're, we're reverent. We're not coming at the Lord in an angry manner, but it's okay to pray, Lord, I just really, I feel like you're distant. And I know that you're not. I know who you are. I know the truth of your word. I have faith in these things, but Lord, don't forget me. Don't, don't turn your eye away from me, Lord. What is the answer for you when it seems like the Lord is silent in your life? The answer is definitely not. Well, I tried that, and I guess I'll just go on my merry way now. You know, I'll figure it out on my own. That's not the answer. The answer is what David did here. He came to the Lord. You know, he was reminding himself, Lord, you're my light. You're my salvation. I've got nothing to fear. But at the same time, Lord, don't hide your face from me. Come to the Lord again and again. Um, plead with the Lord again and again. Pray, Lord, please hear my voice. Lord, attend to my cry. Lord, please speak to your servant. Here I am. I just want to do what you want me to do, Lord. Reveal to me if there's a reason for the silence. Reveal to me if there's something in my life that's blocking me from hearing you. Jesus said that we ought always to pray and not lose heart in Luke 18.1. We ought always to pray. There shouldn't ever be anything in our lives where we're like, all right, I guess I'm going to stop praying now. Jesus said, always pray. That's from a command from the Lord. Always pray. Don't lose heart. And yet, even in his pleading, uh, David begins reminding himself of some things about the Lord. Uh, here in verse 9, uh, he says kind of there in the middle, he says, but you've been my help. You've been my help, Lord. He's looking back at the Lord's faithfulness, you have been my help. It's like he's saying, you've done this thing um, in the past. And he was taking comfort in that, knowing, Lord, you did it before. And so I have no reason to doubt that you're going to be faithful again. Listen, when we're in the valley, take comfort in what you know the Lord has already accomplished. Take comfort in how faithful the Lord has already been in your life. Take heart because he is the same God. Find comfort in those things that the Lord has already accomplished for you, knowing and trusting, and I know that he can do it again. And I know that he can accomplish all of those same things again. And it's like here in the middle of this prayer, really in the middle of verse 9, there's like a turning point. He says, you know, don't leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. It's like he's saying, Lord, don't forsake me, but this is what I know about you. I know that even if, even if this closest relationship, my mom and dad, even if they were to leave me, I know that you would take care of me, Lord. Even if they were to forsake me, Lord, I know that you would be there to take care of me. I know that he isn't going to forsake me because he's been tried and true. He has been my help. And there have been many times in my walk with the Lord like this where it's like you face an impossible situation. You face a situation where you're like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand this. But at the same time, the Lord has been my help before. And I have no reason to doubt that he's going to be my help in this situation now. If he was faithful then, I know he's going to be faithful now. If he didn't forsake me then, he's not going to forsake me today. And I can trust that even if I don't feel it. 
even if it doesn't feel like it in my heart, even if I'm like, Lord, I just don't sense your closeness right now, I can trust the Lord's faithfulness above my feelings. And he goes on to pray in verse 11 and says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. What a great prayer. Lord, show me the right thing to do. <laughs> Lord, teach me your way. Lord, teach me what is right. Teach me what is wrong. This request is relinquishing your own way. This request is relinquishing your own way of doing things and, and saying instead, Lord, so you show me. You show me what is right. This should be the constant prayer for us. This should be the constant prayer of the believer. Lord, you're smart, <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> so show me your way. Show me, your, show me what to do. Teach me what is good and pleasing in your eyes. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 10, Paul said, he tells the Ephesians that, you know, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Paul says, you were once in darkness, uh, you were once walking in your own sins and walking in your own way. And now you're called to walk as children of the light. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And finding out what's acceptable to God. There should be a continual finding out in our lives. Lord, what's acceptable to you? Lord, what pleases you? Lord, teach me your ways. I don't want to just assume that I know. I know that I'm a sinful man. I know that I was in darkness and you pulled me out of that and I've got nothing, Lord, so please show me, teach me. And then he prays, Lord, lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. He's like saying, there's dangers at my right hand, there's dangers at my left hand, Lord, but you know the path that I need to be walking on. And listen, I, I think that that's totally applicable for us today. I don't think many of us have, have armies or, you know, actual people bearing down on us. Maybe some of you do, and um, that's, <laughs> that would not be good. Uh, I don't think most of us are in that case, though, right? But listen, we live in a very uh, treacherous world, right? We live in a, in a world that's dangerous, and we need to be praying, Lord, not only teach me your way, but it's dangerous out there. It's dangerous in this world, Lord, so guide my steps. Show me where I should be walking. Show me how I should be walking because of my enemies, because of those who would want to destroy my faith. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. I don't want to step where you don't lead, Lord. It reminds me of what Jesus said. He said, pray not to be led into temptation, but to be delivered from the evil one. And then verse 13 David says this very amazing statement, and this has just been so on my heart. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart, he says. I, I would have thrown in the towel, right? I would have given up a long time ago had I not known, had I not believed that I would see the Lord in the land of the living. Had I, what's that? That I would not see the Lord in eternity. 
If I wasn't assured that I would see the Lord in the land of the living in heaven, then what am I doing? Why all the fight? Why all the struggle? I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. Have you noticed that knowing that there's a really amazing end to something helps you push through hard stuff to get to the end? You guys ever notice that? You know, in the New Testament, our walk with the Lord is often referred to as a race, right? Um, to run hard. You know, let me just say this. People who run for fun fascinate me. <laughs> um, I don't get that. Uh, if that's your thing, more power to you. You have fun doing it. That's not my thing, right? It's, it's, it's very interesting. I'll go chase a ball around, but I just, it's hard for me to just go out there and run, but there's a lot of people who enjoy it. You know, in gym class, like, I was running around the track, you know, with the whole class. I was the one with, like, just bringing up the rear, you know, <laughs> like, just basically walking around the lap. Running wasn't my thing, right? Um, Never liked it. It hurt too much. I didn't really care to be first. The prize wasn't very intriguing for me, right? But there's some people where it's like, man, that's their, that's their thing. That's what they do. Uh, true athletes, they train and condition their bodies. Uh, they, they go through rigorous exercise programs. They change their diet. Everything that they do is for being able to run fast or run hard or tackle that guy um, or, or do the thing. And for what? Why do they do that? They do it for the prize, right? Ultimately, that's what it is. Maybe the prize is money. Uh, maybe the prize is a trophy or, or a crown or to win the Super Bowl, the pride of it all, right? That's why they do that. Their whole lives are focused on this one thing so that they can get the prize even when it hurts, even when it's difficult. They push through it because they know at the end, there's the Lombardi trophy and I'm going to win the Super Bowl, right? That's why they do it. This is what Paul says about this. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, meaning they're trying hard. They're, they're focused on their goal, right? Now, they do, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified." We're in a race. We're in a race. And the race is this life. It's this lifetime. And Paul says, run so that you may obtain the prize. And what's the prize? What's the finish line? The finish line is heaven. The finish line is that I get to be with Jesus in eternity, forever, in perfect peace, perfect harmony. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. That's our prize. And that's why Paul says, uh, so fight hard. These guys, they're all, they're all fighting. They're all training. Uh, they're all beating the air. They're all doing these things and running so that they can obtain an, a perishable crown, something that's just going to burn in the end. But what you're running for, that's imperishable. It's imperishable. It's never going to fade away. That's why you fight. That's why you run hard. That's why we can say with David, hey, I'd lose heart 
I'd throw in the towel if I didn't believe that I would see the Lord in the land of the living. I would quit this whole thing right now if I didn't believe that I was going to be with him in eternity. So don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Fight harder. Dig your heels in. Run harder. Run faster after Jesus. And even when life hurts, it's in those times when we need to remember all the more, listen, we're currently living in the land of death but we look forward to a time when we're going to be with Jesus in the land of the living. We're going to be with him in eternity. And so we can run hard right now. We can fight hard right now. We can do everything that we can do to advance the kingdom, even if it means our death, because why? We're going to be with him. doesn't matter what anybody does to us. Nobody can take your salvation away from you. Nobody can. The Lord has given it to you as his gift. And you can know, I'm going to be with the Lord in the land of the living. So fight. Run hard. Especially now. Be a light. Don't be ashamed. Be bold. Be bold. Why? Because one day we're going to cross that finish line. And you know who's going to be there? Jesus. The Lord himself is going to be there. And in that moment, we're going to look at the Lord and we're going to realize all of the fighting, all of the striving, all of the pain, it was worth it. This is how Paul said it in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says they're not even on the same playing field. The sufferings of this present time, the hardships that we face in this life, it's not even on the same playing field. It's not even, we can't even compare the two, how good it's going to be in heaven. The glory that shall be revealed in us. So listen, we can fight, we can run, we can press on because we know that this life right now is not the only life. There's life after this life. There's something much better waiting for us in the land of the living. And so don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. We'll close it up here in verse 14. This is an interesting verse. After everything David has said in this psalm, after he's expressed his trust in the Lord's faithfulness, after he's, you know, cried out to the Lord for the Lord to hear him, in verse 14 he addresses us as the reader, and he has instruction for us. This is what he says. So you can almost say, so, after this, so, because of all of this, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. After David says all of these things, he speaks of the Lord's faithfulness. Um, he speaks of the, the Lord, uh, him, him wanting to, to just reach down and, and speak to David, right? He speaks of all of these things. The prayer, Lord, teach me your way. His encouragement to us as the reader after his experience with the Lord, he says, wait on him. Wait upon the Lord. Be a worthy study for all of us to go through the whole Bible and just find all the times where the, the scriptures encourage us this simple thing. Wait upon the Lord. It's a lot. I, I don't know how much it is. It's a lot. 
It's all over the place. New Testament, Old Testament, doesn't matter. The exhortation is the same. We're not called to be people who just charge on ahead without the Lord. Without the Lord giving us instruction and teaching us and leading us in his way and and showing us who he is, we are called to wait upon the Lord, to place our hope in him, to place our trust in him, to put our reliance upon his faithfulness, to allow the Lord to take the lead in our life, to not just charge on ahead because we think we know what the right thing to do is. To be praying, Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, lead me in a level path. Waking up every morning and submitting myself afresh to the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want to accomplish today in me? When big decisions come up, to pray to the Lord and expectantly wait upon him that he is going to provide the answer. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. And when we wait on the Lord, well, he says a couple things here. He says, wait on the Lord, first of all. Be of good courage. Again, there's that whole theme of don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. As you wait upon the Lord, that's the best thing that you could do. That's the best thing you could do. So be of good courage. Don't be fearful. And he shall strengthen your heart. When we wait on the Lord, the Lord strengthens us. When we wait upon the Lord, he gives us peace. He gives us grace. He gives us strength. He gives us resolve. He gives us grace to be able to face any situation. When we wait on the Lord, listen, it it doesn't necessarily mean that he's just going to deliver us from hard situations, but do you know what it does mean? It means that he's going to give you the strength and the grace to be able to walk through it. He's going to give you the resolve uh, to be able to do those things that he is calling you to do. And so wait on the Lord. He says it twice in one verse. Emphasis, right? He's making an important point. Don't miss this. Don't miss this in your life. Wait upon the Lord. Take time every day. Wait upon the Lord. Call upon him. Seek his face. In your prayer time, man, don't just be the only one talking. I fall into that so often where it's like, I'm just praying. And it's like, okay, see ya. (laughs) You know, wait. Wait in silence. Allow the Lord space to be able to speak to your heart. There's that psalm, I'm forgetting. Some of you guys probably know, but it says, be still and know that I am God. Just in the stillness. Just be quiet. Another translation for that verse says, cease striving and know that I am God. Stop. Just stop for a little bit. Know that I'm the Lord. Know who I am. (laughs) Encourage yourself in this, that I'm your light, I'm your strength, I'm your salvation. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. What is the thing that's needful for us? This. This is the needful thing. For each and every one of us, this is what we need. We need more of the Lord in our lives. We need more of Jesus. That's the answer for every believer. We want to see the world changed? Of course we do. We want to see lives transformed by the gospel? Absolutely we do. You wait on the Lord. 
you allow the Lord to work his work in your life and see what happens. See how he strengthens you to do those things that you thought would have been impossible. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And Lord, we love you. And Father, I pray that this would be each one of us, Lord, each one of our hearts, Lord, that we would desire you above all else, that we would love you with with our whole being, Lord, that we would be those that wait upon you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you provide yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you give yourself to us that we can know you and be satisfied by you and, and walk with you and love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that just the same prayer, that you would teach us, teach us your way. Lord, lead us. <laughs> our, our, our footsteps, Lord, may they be placed where you want them to be placed, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord.